Welcome to Fresh Off the Boat. Uh, today's guest is Srijan Sood, a student I've worked with uh, when he was in St. Columbus School in New Delhi in 2012-13. That's when you went to Georgia Tech. Uh, it, there was no doubt that you would be pursuing computer science because the kind of uh, stuff you were doing already in high school uh, was quite amazing. And uh, so I just wanted to know when you got there, what was it like settling in? academically what resources did you use and what set that as a tone for things that you did in the future thanks arjun thanks yeah um all all, all great questions and i think yeah th these all i think essentially form my entire freshman experience uh so overall settling in was a lot easier than i expected i think thanks to just a great support group overall so whether it be my family my parents or friends, I, I, I think that transition is very important. So, you know, making some early connections as soon as you arrive to a new place, that, that's really essential. And that um, set the pace for me. So, so as soon as I got there, I was a part of uh, a living learning community. So it's called the Grand Challenges Program. And it's, the, it's why it's living learning is because it's 110 students who all live in the same dorm. And you're also taking a lot of classes together and it's about this particular research uh, aspect called the Grand Challenges Program, where you're trying to come up with solutions to solve uh, humanity's grand challenges. So because of this living learning community, it was really easy to make friends and connections in the early days. And you know, coming to the US uh, from India, it was, it was great to have a support system from the get-go. So I, I, I'd say that um, helped me both you know, just get used to uh, the city of Atlanta, the the U.S. education system, um, which in some ways is very different from the Indian education system. So I remember when I took English one as a freshman, I, I you know the, the kind of English classes we had back in high school in the CBSE system in India, um, compared to writing classes in the U.S., you know it's a completely different ballgame. And initially, I had no real idea of you know what the professors really expected. And I think that's when a lot of your friends were from the US, they, they, they really helped me um, understand, you know, what needs to be done. And, you know, another um, example I have is actually to do with US history. So as part of our, you know, global civics and uh, social studies requirement, um, we got an option to choose from multiple classes. So I've always been interested in history. So I thought, why not also learn the US side of it? And, um, you know, th th this definitely sounds very naive now, but one of the things I asked my professor was that, that I don't really get the, the setting of the American independence struggle. You know, growing up in India and, you know, reading a lot about colonialism and how, how that really went down, here it's kind of different where, you know, a bunch of colonial settlers came from the UK to the US and I didn't really get the concept of how they were trying to declare independence from themselves, right? So, so, so just as a young high school graduate, that, that setting was so strange to me. And thankfully I had great faculty, right? And, and they actually pointed out that I wasn't the first international student to come up with these questions. And they even encouraged me to switch from the multiple choice question format in the exams to an essay format and, and you know, while that sounds very counterintuitive, that actually helped me learn a lot. And you know, it was just one of the experiences I still remember uh, as you right. know, 
Very well, well said, actually. And given uh, the current situation in the US where cities are in a flame and there's rioting on the streets, uh, there's a lot of pent up racial tension. Uh, and obviously, history teaches us so many things. Uh, so mm -hmm. very fascinating as an introduction to <laughs> your freshman year and your perspectives. Still, I think being naive is important, uh, <laughs> even, in, even in this time, even after you've done a master's degree now. So we'll, we'll, we'll learn more about that. Uh, and also the interlinkages. I think it's a good way that you've set it up that fine, you did. I know that you studied computer science not at undergrad, but also at master's level at Georgia Tech. Uh, but the fact that you're interested in uh, social sciences makes it even more fascinating. Going forward, how Georgia Tech is kind of that gender imbalance school where you have these nerds and geeks sort of working on machines, building stuff. Uh, what was it like for you uh, to choose computer science and find your specialty and your place in the world through the teaching assistantships and future internships and jobs that you pursued? So, so, so I'd say that most of my personal growth during my college years actually happened in the summers that I was interning, right? Like after each summer, I could really, you know, look back and see how I've grown in multiple ways. And my, my first internship was in San Diego at Qualcomm, which is a chip manufacturing and a chip design company. And back then, my freshman year, I was actually a computer engineering major. So, you know, it's a mix between electrical engineering and computer science because I was still pretty indecisive about, you know, what I kind of want to do. I know I like computer science, I like coding, but I also like the hardware aspect, right? So it was always this back and forth between which classes to take. So I just picked a major that would let me do both. Um, but then during my first internship, I actually realized that the hardware aspect was more of a hobby for me. Right? Like I love to do some of that stuff and I still continue to do that. But studying it wasn't really what I was passionate about. And I, I could really see that when I took some intro computer science classes as electives. Right? Because these were the classes that would be my fun work. Right? Whenever I wanted to take a break from my electrical engineering work, I'd end up doing some computer science work. I'd end up helping other students who were taking classes I hadn't taken yet. And that was kind of an indication to me that maybe I should switch over. And my first internship really you know, guided me that way. So I had some great mentors at Qualcomm. And they actually, you know, while my internship project was to do with writing code, they enabled me to see what really happens in the hardware industry, right? So I was able to go into some of these labs at Qualcomm where they were developing processors and you know how do they actually develop it? How do they test it on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, and, and that entire pipeline. And while fascinating, that, that's when I kind of realized that, you know, that that's something I'm still interested in, but that's not what I'd like to focus majority of my time on. So I, I think my first internship, you know, had this milestone of, you know, a year, year and a half into college of kind of making me realize what I want to do. Great. So computer science is generally a capped major. So, but switching from computer engineering, was that easy for you? You meet certain requirements, meet advisors and then switch? Yeah, thankfully at Georgia Tech, they make it pretty straightforward. So, so luckily I'd already taken the intro CS classes as electives. So just because I'd I was interested in them and I've I kind of foresaw that even like, for example, if I'm going to be a junior and if I want to take CS courses as 
an electrical engineering major, I, I'd still need to get the prerequisites done. So luckily I had some of the prereqs covered. And overall, I think if you meet some very basic GPA requirements, they, they really help you to switch. And they even have this kind of transition clause that if you're a transfer major, you know, change of major or any other sort of circumstance, they really kind of welcome right. you to the major and, you know, cover that first year. So how does the typical computer science uh, major requirement sort of progress, you know, as a layman, uh, how would you describe that to someone who doesn't know or even the different paths you can choose eventually, whether it's app dev, web dev, machine learning, data science, AI, et cetera, or, mm -hmm. you know, other internet of things in other areas. In your mind, how did that pan out and what is it, what do other students do who are maybe unlike you? Mm -hmm. So, so initially at, um, at, at Georgia Tech, all engineering or science majors have to take a computing class. So, um, what the class covers remains pretty consistent, but for computer science majors, it's taught. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the oh, first yeah. episode where we have my daughter being featured Sunday out here. So yeah, it's great. She's <laughs> done, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> how, how is she doing in the quarantine? Oh, she's actually great. I mean, we go down to play, so we get to yeah, maintain social distance and do stuff. But yeah, go on. I think let's That's go back to. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So um, as I was saying, the computing requirement is there for all engineering or science majors, but just the tool, the, the, the language that you study it in changes. So all engineering majors take a class in MATLAB, whereas the CS majors take a class in Python. So, you know, everyone is kind of introduced to the world of computing, but after that, the computer science majors have multiple streams. So, so you were mentioning topics like, you know, Internet of Things, uh, machine learning systems, databases, and these are called threads in the Georgia Tech curriculum. So overall, the undergraduate department offers eight threads, and to graduate, you end up picking two threads, right? So, so that kind of allows you to cater your computer science degree to whichever aspect you like the most, right? So, so there are a lot of people that like the web aspect or the app dev aspect, that there's a complete pillar for that, right? So, so everyone has the same core classes, so of course, everyone studies things like introduction to programming, data structures and algorithms, advanced algorithms, um, databases. But, but after that, what you choose to specialize in is completely up to you. So the pillars I ended up picking were artificial intelligence and embedded devices. So even though I'd switched my major, I thought I could still kind of hold on to a little of that hardware bit. And artificial intelligence is something I've always been interested in. So this kind of let me combine the two. So I could also take classes that, you know, can I build, um, so for example, things like robotics, right? They lie at the intersection of, you know, physical embedded devices and artificial intelligence. So, so there were classes that I could take that satisfied both the pillars, but really helped me kind of cater my degree towards that very specific niche where I wanted to go. Okay, great. So if you were to look at uh, activities that were beyond class at Georgia Tech, I know you were a busy student, there were so many challenges, companies setting up uh, uh, initiatives and competitions, uh, also joining clubs and organizations, which led to maybe international sort of or national level activities. Can you describe a few opportunities that you signed up for? Sure, yeah. Uh, so I'd say initially the biggest one would be as a part of the Grand Challenges Living Learning Community. 
So, so the first year was more of this training phase where we were taught how to really tackle these, you know, research problems or design related problems and, you know, how to take the consumer or customer centric view and, you know, how, how do you really define this whole setting? Um, but when we went into the sophomore year, now it was optional for us to whether we really wish to continue with the program. And, um, you know, me with a couple of other friends, we ended up doing that, right? So we could have, you know, whatever our idea was. And in this case, uh, we focused on virtual reality. Um, we built, um, you know, prototypes and solutions to existing problems out there. So then it was up to us to kind of, you know, define what, what was this problem and how will we be solving it? And then how do we really want to sell the solution? And it's not ne necessarily sell in the business sense, but how do you convince someone that the solution is relevant? And, you know, as a part of that, was really supportive right our class size was literally a class of four right? it was our team of four meeting twice a week with our professor who was really teaching us how to write our proposals how connecting us with faculty um within the school that, that our problem was focused on so so while we were working on a computer science pr problem so there were you know cs faculty we could interact with there were people working on problems within the sustainable energy space right so we could, and that's also one of the problems I was involved with towards the end of my freshman year, we got to meet with the school's um, leader uh, of public policy and the person in charge of the school's layout and you know building design. So whatever LEED certified buildings we had on the campus, you know, how did they really make sure that Georgia Tech was a leader in the city of Atlanta and overall into sustainable building and, you know, just the, the smart grid and all, all of these uh, technologies. So, so I'd say that was, you know, a big fascinating. Portion. Yeah, that's fascinating. And then going forward with your uh, plans to pursue a master's degree eventually, and then leading to your current job at JP Morgan, which is fascinating to kind of intersection between finance and uh, AI. So tell us a little bit more about that journey, grad school plus uh, the different jobs that you pursued. Sure. Uh, so I'd say that throughout my uh, undergrad career was my internships that kind of guided me towards, you know, what specific niche I wanted to pursue and into realizing that research is something I'm really passionate about. So, you know, my, my first internship, which was software engineering, leading on to more of a data engineering role, followed by a machine learning internship that, that, that kind of made me realize that, OK, machine learning is something I'm passionate about. And that's why uh, in, in late junior year, I ended up uh, opting for the thesis option. So the computer science program at Georgia Tech ha gives you multiple options for your capstone. Um, and, you know, the traditional option is that you work with a company and it's a two semester project where you're paired with uh, different uh, students in your cohort. And then you try solving this uh, problem for this company. Uh, I opted for the thesis route where I work with a faculty member. Uh, over the course of three semesters to work on a specific problem, and then I have to write a thesis on it. So the, the, the topic that my thesis was on is a subfield of machine learning called reinforcement learning. And in specific, it was about uh, intelligent reward design and uh, task specification for AI problems. Uh, so, so that's how I really got into the artificial intelligence space. Um, and you know, after my undergrad finished, uh, I, I was looking for jobs and progressively over my undergrad career, I'd worked for, you know, a smaller company each summer. And I 
And I realized at that point that startups were something I was really fascinated with. And they really gave me this flexibility of controlling the end-to-end -end pipeline. Right? So everything from uh, the back end, so, so designing an algorithm, to you know, the, the other side, that how does it really solve a customer's problem? Right? I wanted to be in charge of all of those segments. And that's why I ended up joining a startup, um, which was just a group of four people. So it was a startup out of uh, Stanford's uh, MBA program. So Stanford has um, this, you know, I, I wouldn't call it venture capital, but they have this, um, you know, seed money fund for their own students where they fund startups uh, from whether they're undergrad or their graduate schools. Um, and that, that was a startup that I joined, which used machine learning in the space of satellite imagery. So if we have images of, for example, farmland, right? can I figure out what's growing there? And then given a time series of these images, can I predict what crop yield in Shelby, Iowa will look like next year? Or I, I, I see weather patterns changing. I see that there's a hurricane that struck somewhere. Do I know if oats production in Saskatchewan, Canada will change? Right? And then further, once we know this, this can be used for many downstream tasks. So primarily, uh, used by both governments and food corporations for uh, you know, risk management and supply chain, but also by commodities traders. Fascinating. So, so you worked for over two years at uh, Area of Intelligence. Uh, uh, so about a year. And okay. towards the end of that year, I decided that I wanted to pursue some more research. I, I really wanted to get my hands dirty and figure out you know, how does the academic side of research work. And that, that's when I decided to go back to Georgia Tech to pursue my master's. So this was in uh, mid-2018 when I started my master's. Program. So when you started your master's, it was purely with an intent to learn more about machine learning, artificial intelligence. Exactly. exactly. So, so I'd definitely seen some of the applied side. I, I'd started you know, dipping my feet in this world of research with my, with my undergrad thesis. But I really wanted to see, you know, uh, so, so within when you start graduate school, you hit this point where you kind of now know how much you don't know. And I think that's what I was looking for, right? So, so before I started my master's, I knew the space that I'm interested in, but within that, you know, where do I want to go from there? So I really needed to know how much I don't know to, to make any moves. Yeah, typically um, the job market for computer science graduates is so hot that very often students do not think of doing a master's. The ones who do end up thinking of it as an academia or a research sort of uh, position. So it kind of the new job that you have with JV Morgan, uh, does that give you a blend of both? Like you can continue to learn and do things at the same time, uh, apply it in the industry. So tell us more about this initiative. What does the company do? What department are you sort of helping solve problems for? Sure, yeah. Um, so, so just as some context, um, you know, reinforcement learning is what I'd studied in, in my undergrad, and I decided to pursue that in my master's. And one of my master's projects was about seeing if we can use reinforcement learning to train uh, stock trading agents. So, you know, given a history of the markets, so whether these are intraday or intraday, can I actually create agents that, given this feed of, you know, real-time stock data, can they actually learn to you know, play this entire game, right? And um, that, that's how I got interested in finance. And the professor that I was working with 
uh, Dr. Tucker Balch from Georgia Tech, he advised me to take one of the MBA schools classes, one of their investment classes, just so that, you know, I, I, I've started learning about and I kind of know about the machine learning side of things, but also to be informed about the business side. And, you know, that, that really piqued my interest in this intersection. And luckily what was happening was that, that very year, um, JP Morgan uh, hired Dr. Manuela Veloso, who was the head of the machine learning department at Carnegie Mellon to start uh, JP Morgan's AI research wing. Right? So, so there, there's a lot of AI and machine learning happening at JP Morgan, but, but with this team, it was, you know, it was labeled as a research team. So, you know, while the mandate of our team is to conduct um, a lot of novel research in applications, you know, that span the entire bank, um, we also have a mandate to now publish, to interact with academia, to participate in multiple research conferences, to kind of give back to the academic community. So uh, just as some, uh, for some context, JP Morgan Chase is, uh, I, I believe, the US's largest bank. Uh, and uh, so JP Morgan was an investment bank and Chase Manhattan was a consumer bank and they merged, uh, you know, now a few years back. And now it's just this large behemoth of a bank that has so many different aspects under it. So everything from uh, investment banking, which covers things like mergers and acquisitions, to consumer banking. So Chase, which is you know one of the most prominent, if you walk in any prominent American city, you'll see Chase ATMs all over, to things like asset and wealth management. So all of these different pillars, um, but now with a growing interest in artificial intelligence, and these new slew of machine learning techniques, I think the bank really wanted to see how can they, you know, be future forward. How how do they really, you know, see banking change? Like, can they disrupt the industry before someone else disrupts them? Um, interesting. So I'm sure there are interesting products in the pipeline, uh -huh. uh, and uh, the banking industry would be better off with uh, with all of the work that you're putting in, and your team and everyone else that is putting in. Uh, the future of banking is changing. The future of education is changing. Uh, yeah, coming back to education, though, during these COVID times, people have had to reimagine things. Colleges are still uncertain how things will be in the next semester or, or in spring. In your view, was Georgia Tech a place which was a bit more future ready? Uh, because they always had blended classes and even I would, definitely, I would definitely say so. So, um, you know, I, I think Georgia Tech's online masters and CS program um, was one of the first programs of its kind. So it was, I, I think it was covered very heavily by the Obama administration and it was something that my undergrad advisor was very heavily involved in. And that's why, you know, that, that's when I kind of got introduced to the whole concept. Um, and now it's, it's a massive program, right? Um, and I, I have the privilege of having some more um, insight into this as also a teaching assistant. So while I have TA'd some on-campus classes at Georgia Tech, in my master's, I also TA'd a class called Machine Learning for Trading, which is taught both on-campus and online. So thankfully, I got to engage with students in both aspects that were technically a part of the same classroom, right? Same exams, same course material, same homework, same TAs, right? And I really got to see how different students interact, whether it's undergrad students taking this class, on-campus graduate students, or online students. Right? And, and I have to tell you, Arjun, some of the, 
I think some of the stories as a TA, the, some of the students that I interacted with, it was pretty astounding, right? So there were people who had two PhDs and you know just wanted to learn for the sake of learning and were doing this. There were people who were working in software engineering roles, but still wanted to further their knowledge and thought you know getting a master's online is a pretty great idea while pursuing a full-time job. Um, and you know, everyone in between and it really kind of opened my eyes to, you know, things that are not part of this normal student experience, right? So growing up in India and being privileged enough to attend a very fine high school and then having the privilege to come to the U.S. for my undergrad and then again for my master's, you know, I, I was exposed to this very traditional route of education. And, and, and then, you know, on the other side, as a TA, I'm getting an email from my student saying that, um, can you please extend my homework deadline? Um, I'm actually in the hospital and I had to deliver my baby early. So this woman, she had delivered her baby that very day. And, you know, she asked me for a couple of hours of an extension. And, you know, what, what I'm used to in that kind of context is that if I've scraped my knee, professor, can I please get a week off? And here I am, you know, having students who are, you know, they have these things, of course, but it just kind of opened my eyes to things that are non-traditional. So it kind of uh, lets more people included in uh, higher ed and Georgia Tech obviously set that as a good example. But what do you think uh, campuses could do to take that kind of experiences of running successful online programs and also providing some sort of social dynamic, uh, not replacing obviously the in-person activities, clubs, organizations. Uh, for example, how would grand challenges change as a program if it was all online? <laughs> so yeah, th these are you know these are very interesting questions, and I'm, while while I'm nowhere of an expert on you know policy or any of these things, just some things I realized are you know, viewing, I, I think we have to view these non-traditional aspects in a very different light, right? That they're not, um, that they're not second tier in any way, right? I, I think sometimes we have this vision of, you know, whatever's traditional, whatever's normal is the way to go. But we have to see how these things can add values. For example, one of the things that I saw was off campus or well, online students were really adding value to the degrees of the on-campus students, right? So um, one, thi one thing that you take for granted when you're on campus is interaction, right? So a lot of students study in groups, right? And it could be a group of two, three, or it could be just study groups of 10 people. But, you know, having said that, there's also people who prefer to just work alone. And there are a lot of these online forums or discussion portals. I, I think the major company that does this is called Piazza. And most colleges that I know of have Piazza for their classes. And, and, and it's basically an online forum where students can ask questions and they can answer other students' questions or you wait for a professor or a teaching assistant to answer your query. And these can be actual technical questions or just you know more logistic things about the logistical aspects of the class. Um, but these forums tend to die down rather quickly on some of the on-campus classes, right? Because you know some of the reasons could be that people who need this information are already working in study groups, right? They already have it covered. But at the same time, if there are people who commute, for example, who don't live on campus, or people who just don't do well in group settings, they miss out on some of these things. 
And what I noticed in many of these online classes were that the off-campus students, you know, this is their way to interact. And on top of the Piazza, they've also set up things like an unofficial Slack. So, you know, more of a real-time communication aspect. And they have so much to talk about that it really benefits the in-person students, right? So, so, so the online students are asking all of these questions and they're sharing interesting tidbits and, you know, things that are not necessarily related to the curriculum, but still very relevant. And it's Super. kind of the synthesis yeah, it's, of the two. Kind of the, the online hive mind. Exactly. Right. So, yeah, that's fascinating, though. And I think uh, your ability to simplify things and present them is, um, yeah, it's also great. So, yeah, there is future for online education. It's already mm -hmm. proven at institutions like Georgia Tech. Uh, it can't be that bad I mean, instead of not getting uh, education uh, at least one semester if students have to do this uh, there are ways to make it an engaging academic and social uh, experience albeit a bit different but yes possibly a way forward now switching gears a little bit about you and your uh, we'll get to know you as a person so uh, rapid fire <laughs> Yeah. First question is, uh, can you think of an embarrassing moment, mistake or failure in high school or college or grad school or at work uh, that you learned something from? Sure, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the the learn something aspect can be a bit tricky, but uh, I had uh, a tendency to pull, I, I wouldn't say pull all-nighters, I definitely got my hours of sleep just that I was sleeping when everyone else was awake, right? So, so we had these superlative awards at the end of my freshman year, and I was awarded the night owl, right? So I got a, this big a box of Folgers coffee because my tendency was just to kind of stay awake at night, you know, socialize in the lounge, do my work then, and then go to sleep in the morning. And as a result, there were, there might have been a few exams that I fell asleep in, and, you know, I had a couple of my friends and other students kind of kicking at my chair to really wake me up. So, so yeah, you know, that would be, you know, some embarrassing moments. But, but that definitely, I, I think it taught me two things. One, that I need to manage my time better. But it also kind of showed me that everyone has different styles of working, right? And sometimes, you know, there is this one standard that most students conform to. But just because it doesn't work for you doesn't really mean that you have to force yourself to conform to that right there are so many things you can do in college so many ways to get help and you know so many ways to just branch out and you know do what makes you operate at your best and i think i'm really glad that these are some of the things i learned in college Super. So I think with that, we uh, want to wrap things up. But thank you again, Srijan, for such a wonderful and uh, authentic and honest conversation. Uh, we will definitely want to invite you, given time zone different permits, uh, on a panel to discuss not just your interest in CSAI, but in general, share more life, Gyan, <laughs> with our student community. So thank you again. Thank you so much, Arjun. Thank you. Take care.